I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on this week's episode of Flip from an in-state rival on the recruiting trail. Goodwin transfers out almost as quickly as he transferred in. We'll give our thoughts on Billy Napier's appearance at SEC Media Days and wrap up reviewing the final SEC Media predictions. Will, how's it going, man? Going well, man. We're only like a week away from uh, from practice starting for the fall. And everybody can lie to us about everything heading up to the Utah game. But, uh, you know, we, we sit here all off season hoping for it to come and, and we're almost there again. It's the weather's about to turn. It's about to get uh, about to get start to get cold up here and it start to not get sweltering where you are. So, uh, you know, uh, in about two months. <laughs> we're, we're in the Tampa area here hitting triple digits on a regular basis based on well, what you know, the good news is you can always just jump into the Gulf and cool yourself right off. Oh, yeah. wait, no, you can't. Yeah, that'll be uh, November sometime. That'll be November. So good for you. Good for you up in Philadelphia. You guys. Well, that's all right. It'll be snowing around the bowl, around the bowl games, and yeah. you'll be laughing at me. So yeah, just, that's just when depends we depends on the back. time of year. Jumping right in here. Let's go with TJ Abrams flips to the Gators from Florida State. The wide receiver room gets a little more freaky with the addition of this dynamic five foot 11 175 pound wide receiver out of fort myers dunbar dunbar high school according to andrew ivins the scouting director for 24 7 he's a weapon in the slot that can produce chunk plays has the burst to find pay dirt anytime the ball is in his hands but does a nice job of finding creases where he can uh hit the turbo last season abrams racked up 37 receptions for 429 receiving yards and five touchdowns according to 24-7 and rushed the ball for another 21 times uh, at 248 yards and two touchdowns there, Will. What really impressed me with this guy, Will, is uh, in, addition, in addition to being a home run hitter, breaks a lot of tackles for a guy his size. Really, like a lot of broken plays where they talked about finding the crease – He's working his way through the field and a lot of those hitting a hole and he's gone. So really impressive uh, film there. Another big addition to this wide receiver room. It's going to be a lot of big plays on that offensive side in the coming years. Yeah, well, clearly this is an area where Billy Napier and staff decided they needed to make some changes given what they had when they came into the program. We've said the same thing about defensive line. That's been an area where they've really emphasized um, through high school recruiting. And wide receiver's been one of those places as well. you got three wide receivers from last year. And now Abrams joins um, Jeray Hawkins and then also Isaiah Williams um, out of Carroll Woods Day there in Tampa um, at the wide receiver position. And interestingly, you know, you look at Williams, six foot zero, one seventy five. You look at Hawkins, five nine, one sixty five, and you look at Abrams now, five eleven, one seventy five. So the idea that you're going to have sort of this guy who's six foot three who's going to go in the go in the red zone and be like a giant target for you—that's not what they've done. They've they've gone after guys they can get and guys who are highly talented, and some of them in the state, right? Abrams from Fort Myers, and then you've got Jerry Hawkins from IMG, not necessarily from Florida. Um, um, originally, but, but the Florida area, um, and then Williams out of Tampa. So they've really, you think about Florida speed the, and you think about, you know, one of the things that's been interesting about this recruiting class is that they've gone sort of all over the country for the guys they brought in, but at least at the wide receiver position, they've stayed close to home. And, uh, you know, Abram's going to be a big part of that, obviously pulling him from Florida state, uh, a big deal, um, just from the standpoint of perceptions within the state. But, uh, you know, anytime you can stick it to the knolls, it's a, it's a good day to be a Gator. It's an interesting point you make when you bring up the class as a whole, because unlike last year's class, I feel like those receivers, they're all a little bit different. 
they all have a little something different to offer. And I'm not saying these three are carbon copies, but you said same type of idea behind them. They're, they're like leaner guys, speed, speed, speed. And, and you got to think one of these guys going to work out. It's going to be giving the Gators a nice option here at some point in the next few years. Well, and a little bit of balance. I mean, if you look at the guys from last year, Andy Jean, he's six foot one, one eighty. Aiden Mizell, six two, one eighty. So those are sort of the bigger guys out there. Even though Mizell seems to be a burner too, from everything that we hear. Mm-hmm. And then Eugene Wilson is more of the slot guy, five eleven, one sixty five. So now they've got a couple other guys in that specific place. And if you think about what Billy Napier is going to want to do, or you think about what offenses are trying to do these days, it's not necessarily the old Urban Meyer two thousand eight, two thousand six, where you're trying to just spread the field with speed things are coming back to the interior. Now that you've got defenses that have brought guys in who are just as athletic at the linebacker position as the guys that you've got spreading out wide, well, now you try to punish those guys inside. And so the comment that you made about Abrams breaking tackles, I think is important, especially when you think about Kadarius Tony from a few years ago, it wasn't necessarily that Tony had just like lights out the Now, the minute he put his foot in the ground, he was going full speed in the other direction. But it wasn't like that full speed was like the biggest top-end speed in college football. It's just, you know, he runs through four or five hurricanes, and all of a sudden he's in the end zone, right? And he did the same thing a couple other times, I think, against Old Miss, and he did it once against Florida State, where, you know, just the reality is, is that the ability to change speeds quickly and then the ability to break tackles gives you the ability to take to the house and and given what we saw last year with some of those screens out to the outside where a guy like Xavier Henderson just didn't have that ability to break the tackles on a regular basis or even if he did break the tackles it turned into a five or a seven yard gain not an 80 yard gain these guys are bringing that sort of to the you know, to the table. And so having multiple guys in that spot, obviously you usually think of the slot receiver as being sort of the third receiver and maybe an afterthought. But I think given that offenses are going to bring things more to the interior, that's one of the things we've seen with Georgia with the tight end position. That's one of the reasons why Napier has run a lot of two tight end stuff when he's been at Louisiana. I think there is going to be this drive back towards we're going to make the defense honest when it comes to the linebacker position you're not just going to be able to put a safety at linebacker and beat us and having good solid and maybe even more than solid play in the slot along with the tight end position allows you to do that yeah we see the physicality of those running backs that napier's brought in and that seems to be what what he wants to do with the running game so in addition to that those physical backs you're going to see some explosive options on the outside for uh presumably dj lagway in the near future all right, let's move on here. Well, Kenyatta Goodwin enters the transfer portal, according to Jacob Rudner of 2747 uh, Sports. Sophomore offensive lineman Kenyatta Goodwin has left the program due to personal personal circumstances within his family. A source close to Goodwin and his family shared that Goodwin's mother, who lives in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, was recently diagnosed with cancer, and Goodwin did determined that it would be best for him and his loved ones if he returned home to focus on her care. As a result of the situation, Goodwin is applying for an NCAA family hardship waiver, which would allow him to transfer closer to home and continue his football career, according to a source. So this is an Indiana native. Will ends up playing freshman year at Kentucky last fall, enters the portal, comes down here in the spring. Uh, this, This was a nice pickup in the portal for me. Uh, former five-star recruit, I thought this was a, a good risk in the portal. Uh, you look at the portal, and it's in our magazine. For those of you that uh, bought the magazine, I went through each of the transfer portal results since about 2018 or 2019, and 
it often does not work out at the level that you hope it does. So very rarely does it. So this is kind of in line with what you expect from the portal. It's a, it's a mystery. It's a mystery bag essentially. And unfortunately here, Goodwin rough situation uh, with his mother ends up going back home to Kentucky. So we obviously wish the Goodwin family the best in, uh, through a difficult situation, but uh, well, where does this leave the offensive line heading into 2023 with a guy that presumably would have been in the mix for a starting spot? Yeah, I mean, so I think the first thing is obviously we, we want to make sure that, uh, you know, we send out our thoughts and prayers to the Goodwin family. Um, you know, you're not upset that someone would want to transfer back. Obviously, if, right. if one of my parents was diagnosed with cancer, I'd be evaluating whether I had an opportunity to work and or live close to where they are. And so, you know, hey, look. You're, you're a high-level college football player, but you have the ability to do that. And since you have the ability to do that, I hope he gets the waiver, and I hope he's you know playing for Louisville or something next year because um, you know you just hope that that's <laughs> that that the the cancer diagnosis and and the fact that he wants to be close to his family allows him to maybe excel in a place that's close to home because of that. Um, so best best wishes to him and the Goodwin family. In terms of where it leaves Florida, um, I don't think the Goodwin was going to be a starter this year. I think he was going to be solid insurance as a backup. You think about. Um, sort of the guys that they brought in. Mazuka is the guy that I think the injury, um, the shoulder injury, where he ends up maybe is going to dictate how Florida's offensive line looks this year. But look, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no disputing that Florida's replacing an awful lot on the offensive line and just having numbers. And we talk all the time about recruiting and how you stack recruit after recruit after recruit because not every one of them makes. You know, not every one of them makes out well. And you do the same thing when you start talking about offensive linemen and you bring guys in. So Austin Barber played really well at a tackle. But what happens if he rolls an ankle? Who's going to come in, right? You, you think about Aguacan at center, like who's backing him up? And so you're going to rely on guys like Roderick Kearney, true freshman. You're going to end up relying on some of those guys who came in in that transition class for Billy Napier. Um, those guys are going to get some major minutes and maybe Goodwin would have come in in those cases. Um, you know, it also sounds like I heard this week that Cameron Waits, the transfer from Utah, um, or from Utah, the transfer from Louisiana, Louisiana. Um, who, who tore his Achilles, should be available at some point throughout the year. So, you know, you are getting a guy who's going to be able to come out and play tackle in some respects at some point throughout the year. But again, an Achilles injury is a pretty significant injury for a guy who, you know, you're really relying on foot speed. So look, it's a, it's, I mean, there's no doubt it's a major blow to Florida. I don't think he was going to be a starter to start the season. At least that's not the way it looked coming out of spring camp. But, um, you know, in terms of long-term, that was the thing about Goodwin is he had played yeah. one year at Kentucky and so he had three years of eligibility left and was transferring to Florida and was really going to be a long-term developmental project. So, you know, could you have gotten somebody else if Goodwin hadn't come? Um, what do you do with the scholarship that now is not occupied by Goodwin's spot? So there's a lot of different things that, you know, the opportunity cost of having someone in the fold um, maybe impacts your program in some in some level. But again, I mean, you know, if it was somebody who just decided he didn't like Billy Napier and didn't like the offensive line coaches and decided to, to skedaddle, you'd be like, all right, I can, I can, you know, that's that stinks and that has something to do with evaluation. But you can't control this situation. This is just life. And so you sort of next man up and 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 move on. Just another reminder that the portal is not the fixed product. It might be, it might be a band-aid, but it's not typically a long-term solution in any regard. Our two big offensive linemen pickups, uh, Goodwin and Mazuka, at one point had hit the portal for about 24 hours or said he was going to hit the portal. Didn't end up happening, but these are newer faces to the program and for different reasons, 
may end up not with the program in the near future. We saw the same thing uh, with Ethan White going out to USC. Didn't quite make it there with the injury, Will. So it's just it's interesting to continue to study the portal as it goes along. But Napier actually did address that at his media days, which this is a good opportunity to transition to the SEC media days conversation. But Napier did make a point that the portal's not the long-term plan. They're they're trying to be strategic and pick up guys that fit the culture, fit the team and all that. But definitely the, the plan is to prioritize that that high school recruiting on a heavy basis. And in the future, when you don't need so much help, dip into the portal less and less. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's, that's an interesting thing for the guy to say he's going to have a starting quarterback this year that he got through the portal. But, uh, you know, I mean, yes. I mean, I think when you look back historically, the number of times you get a Russell Wilson through the transfer portal is probably the most famous example of somebody transferring from one place to another and all of a sudden becoming a star. Um, you know, you got Bo Nix last year going from Auburn to to Joe Oregon. Burrow. That that was, a, that was a pretty big one. What was that one? Joe Burrow. You got Joe Burrow, but that, that was, that again, I think was a little bit different in terms of um, it, it just in terms of he wasn't a star right away. And had he been in a competition with anybody else, it might've been a problem there at LSU. He wasn't very good his first year there. So, um, you know, if he'd have had one year of eligibility when he transferred, then we would have said he's a bum and get him out. And chances are, I might've had that evaluation of him too. After after the one year at LSU, it just turns out I wasn't really evaluating him that closely. So now I get to claim that I knew all along he was going to be that great. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, look, I think, yes, sometimes that happens. The other thing is there were like 17 guys drafted from that LSU team that won the national championship. They were pretty good. And, and if you don't think that, uh, that Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson made Joe Burrow look pretty good, um, you know, not to say the Burrow's not a great quarterback, but you got to have all those guys around them to make it worthwhile, right? I think that's sort of what you're saying is if you brought Joe Burrow into a situation where you're where you're where you lack talent to begin with, you might go eight and four instead of seven and five. But are you really playing for the national championship? The reason that team was playing for the national championship is because Burrow had all those weapons all over the place. Um, at LSU and was able to really have an otherworldly offense that no one's seen in years. And, you know, the opportunity to do that is there if you've built the foundation. And Orgeron, for all of the criticism for Ed Orgeron, he was a really good recruiter there in Baton Rouge. And, uh, you know, was he at the level of Georgia and Alabama? No, but he was just south of that level and Burrow was able to put him over the top. And so, you know, that's one of the things I think we're hoping with DJ Lagway is you get Lagway in, you get three years of Lagway. Maybe, um, you know, hopefully four, but chances are you get three years of lag way. And in those three years, is the quarterback going to be able to push the performance of the uh, of, of the of the team above what it would normally be based on the talent rating? But, the, but that's the big question, right? Is is Napier, will he have assembled enough talent by the time Lagway sort of blossoms into what Lagway is going to be for the team to be? 12 and 0 or is it going to be 10 and 2 and that'll that'll be the main question i think when uh when we come up on that in a couple of years well let's let's get in here to the sec media days i get a kick out of how many people were complaining actively complaining last week about billy napier you can tell the people who have not listened to many billy napier press conferences because napier went out there and did what we've seen him do 100 times at this point he gave the speech the way he gives it. He's not the most quotable guy behind the mic. That's definitely intentional on his part. You could tell that he's very thorough, very thought out, very meticulous in the messages he's trying to craft to the media, to the public. But after the last two coaches, Will, is it, isn't it a positive and not a negative that 
we got a guy in the CEO position here at the University of Florida that's not going to say something stupid and put his foot in his mouth? I mean, I don't really care whether he says something stupid and puts his foot in his mouth as long as he wins football games. Right. I think that's that's the thing, right, is that when you're Lane Kiffin and you go out there and you say something and you're at old Miss and you lose to Alabama and you pull an upset every once in a while, everybody thinks you're colorful. You do it at the University of Florida and everybody thinks you're a jerk. Like, And they would have thought the same thing about Steve Spurrier if he hadn't been able to back up all of his talk too, right? Now, Spurrier was fun because he'd talk about, he'd talk about oh, nobody's put up 50 between the hedges. And then he'd go put up 50 between the hedges. And he'd go talk about the coloring books at Auburn and then he pummel Auburn all but, over the place. But that's why that guy's got not only the statues for the Heisman, but the man has a statue in the fields named after him for a reason. He's an yeah. absolute legend. That's well, that's but, that, but that's, so, that's sort of my point, right? Is that, is that we all, um, you know, we all want the colorful guy out there. Who's, who's needling the opposition, all that stuff, but then it gets thrown back in their face if they can't get the job done. So that's what it's going to come down to. Everybody will sit there five years from now. If Billy Napier's got a national title and a couple of SEC championships under his belt and DJ Lagway's chucking the ball all over the place, everybody's going to be like, wow, that Napier, he was working so hard behind the scenes and just didn't want to be distracted by any of these things like SEC media day. And if, and if he can't, if he can't continue the recruiting he's got in 2024 and 2025 kind of falls off, 2026 falls off even further, It'll be he's not interesting enough to attract the elite athletes that, that Florida needs in order to compete. So it's one of those things where I think the narrative ends up. And this is the funny part about July, right, is that the narrative ends up encompassing whatever you want the narrative to be based on what the end result is going to be, which is one of the interesting things about being in this business is you write something and all of a sudden there's something that's been written down in terms of what your opinion is. And then you look back at it three or four years later and go, whoo, not even close. Like I wasn't even close at all. Or man, I nailed that one. But did I really nail it or was I just sort of right? You know, did I get lucky in terms of what I was predicting? Um, that's one of the reasons why we look at recruiting so heavily is that that really tells a big portion of the story about whether you're going to be right or not. So look, is Napier boring? Yeah, he is. Do I listen yeah. to his press conferences with bated breath thinking that he's going to take a shot at Saban? No, not at all. Um, do I, did I think he was going to say anything that was of real significance during SEC media days? No, which in some ways does harm the product, right? Because, um, part of the fun of college football is that you're needling your opposition. I mean, look, if we get a Georgia fan on here on this podcast, it's not like we're not going to go after him a little bit for the schedule or, 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 you know, Florida, Georgia versus Georgia, Florida, or whatever, whatever it ends up being. Right. Like we would need, I like playing be Georgia the, the second week of the season. Cause they always got a couple guys missing. They, whatever got it a couple is. Guys sitting on the bench. That old Spurrier quote when he's at. So look, I mean, look, I, I sort of look at it and say, you may as well talk crap because you're going to be gone in four seasons if you don't win enough anyway. So just go out there, be brash, talk garbage. And, you know, Listen, all of a sudden, uh, you know, people think you're colorful. If you, I, win. I watched, I, I watched a, at least parts of all 13 other sec coaches. Well, cause some of them, you hear a few things and you're like, all right, moving on. I watched most of, of the 13 coaches here. I, I, I parts of at least all 13, the highlights that I heard, were Lane Kiffin voicing concerns about NIL? That was uh, potentially interesting, could lead to some interesting discussion, basically talking about how the rich are getting richer with the NIL and it's tough for schools to keep up like that, uh, like Old Miss to keep up. But I think the other two highlights were Nick Saban and Kirby Smart bitching about either potentially having to go to Italy on a trip or actually having to go to Italy on a trip after getting out of it the previous two years. And uh, I think the best quote of the entire SEC media days 
from a coach was Saban saying, uh, yeah, we got roll tied everywhere we went in Italy, and those cats don't even speak English. <laughs> so I think that was probably the highlight of SC. It's not like any of these other 13 coaches are dropping a Netflix special anytime soon. It wasn't the most interesting. And there's some guys like Shane Beamer's pretty good behind a mic, typically. He was most of these guys are just going out there it's preseason they're they're trying to get out of there without big headlines in, in some regards but uh, my only question for you from a marketing standpoint not that you need a lot of help marketing an sec football program but are you missing a little bit of an opportunity from that sense well i mean again i think the proof the narrative will be drafted around the result win or loss, and yeah. so That's so not just win or loss but recruiting too yeah. right that if if the recruiting ends up not being what it needs to be. It'll be, he's too dry. He's not able to recruit. He doesn't relate to the athletes. Well, the boosters don't support him because he can't rah, rah and get them energized that he doesn't ever go after the the enemy. And then he doesn't beat him either. Like that'll sort of be the narrative. And if he goes out there and beats Georgia this year and is able to start building a behemoth on the recruiting trail. Everybody will be like, you need a CEO type. You need someone who's measured. You don't want people who are too emotional because the emotion gets in the way of the actual job they need to get done. And, you know, the reality is, is that if you're a good recruiter and if you're a good football coach, those guys come as arrogant guys who are going to say all sorts of stuff. And those guys come as CEO types who are going to just keep everything to a minimum. And, you know, just because Nick Saban is one way doesn't mean that another way doesn't work, but there are some fundamental things you have to do in order to win football games and performing at SEC media day. I mean, look, if we're looking at it going, we were bored, no high school recruits looking at it saying, I'm going to make a decision on this and no boosters looking at it, deciding whether they're going to give money to the program or to an NIL function based on the, based on the the discussion there. The question is when Napier gets those guys in a room by themselves and implores them to give funds to the things that they need to give funds to, is he able to make the sale there? And that's, that's going to be the open question that's answered by how the NIL is able to perform relative to the Alabamas and the Georgias of the world. Because if Lane Kiffin is telling us that NIL favorite the big boys. The question is, is Florida one of the big boys? They would have been 10 years ago. And now the question is, are they still? And a lot of that comes down to who's the head coach? Is he able to sell the program and all that sort of stuff? So look, you put Paul Feinbaum and, and Michael Bratton to sleep uh, right before uh, <laughs> right before bedtime with your SEC media day, with your SEC <laughs> media day day interview. That's all fine and dandy. The question is, is your NIL organization supporting what's necessary to get? to get done what needs to get done on the recruiting trail? And are your boosters doing what needs to be done to make sure your facilities are up to speed with everybody else? And at that point, if you've got the right players on the field and you got the right coaches on the field, nothing that you said at SEC Media Days will matter. I, I know that uh, I, I know that you're going to say finish the job, but that, that aspect seems to be going pretty well at this point. Uh, let's just talk about the meat of the speech of what he said outside of the introductions and the closings. Uh, harped on the experience that they added. Billy Napier harped on the experience that they added in the portal. He, and he stressed that 93% of the team has been with the team in Gainesville since January. So they've had a chance to grow. They've had a chance to bond. Uh, 10,000 plus snaps and 123 starts were added through the portal. He's excited for the compound impact of year two. He said there's a different level of discipline and detail to this group. So will the excitement level little bit down for this season overall compared to a normal Florida season. 
these are the types of things that they're that he's playing at. He's he. I thought he came in there and I thought he promoted this group well in the sense that hey, he there's no real superstars on this team. Could this be a situation where it's like a no name Gator team that comes out and just the team there's since that there's that no superstar element on there that they come out and they just play a little better as a whole across the board and win a couple of those close games last year. And maybe the record looks a little nicer than it did in the past two years. Sure. I mean, I think that's, it was interesting when we did the preseason magazine, we always have a feature at the end that's, you know, win loss or, or toss up. Right. And, and the toss up, I had a lot of toss ups this year. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to make of Joe Milton, but if Tennessee's defense is the same defense they had last year and Joe Milton does not step in and even is a reasonable facsimile of Hendon Hooker, Tennessee's going to take a major step back. South Carolina is, is Rattler going to be the guy he was in that game against Tennessee, or is he going to be the guy that he was in that game against Florida? And, and I think there's this perception that after that Tennessee game, everything was, was all rainbows and unicorns for him, but that's not necessarily true. You look at Missouri and Vanderbilt. I don't think anybody really, expects them to be competitive this year at least not with florida um we'll see i mean obviously you have to make that case so then you're looking at leary at kentucky you're looking at what milton can do at tennessee and george is even replacing their quarterback and and i think you know we we we've obviously had our fun with stetson bennett and the mailman and all that sort of stuff but um but the reality is that guy won two national championships under center and you don't just replace a guy like that without any sort of drop off or any sort of reticence or anything like that. Does that mean that Florida is going to be Georgia this year? No, I don't necessarily think so. But you start factoring that in with the two cupcake games they've got. You factor that in with Jordan Travis. Is he going to be able to stay healthy all the way to the end of the year? If he plays games all year long, like he did against Florida, he got beat up against Florida. Now he, now he obviously gave gave a pretty significant amount of punishment to the Gators defense as well. But you can't play like that all year long and not get dinged up and not get a high ankle sprain or not get, you know, a concussion or something like that. And so what's Florida State going to be? And then Utah with Cam Rising. They've got a guy coming in off of a busted off of a torn ACL. I think it's the second time he's torn an ACL. So at least he knows what what the rehab looks like. But his first game action is going to be against Florida. And he wasn't good through the air against Florida last year. And let's be honest, that was probably the worst Florida defense that we've seen in like 30 years. And rising wasn't great through the air. The, the We were all raving about the defensive backs after that game, a bunch of the defensive stops, things like that. The stuff rising did to Florida was running – Was he made plays with his legs that extended drives that made those drive. you know, they had those really long drives. And they've also lost their main running back too from last year who was a big part of what they did in the second half last year. Mm-hmm. So – does that mean Florida's going to beat Utah? No. Does it mean Florida's going to beat Tennessee? No. Does it mean Florida's going to beat Kentucky or South Carolina or even Missouri or Vanderbilt? No. But I have just about all of those in the toss-up category because we're asking questions about the Gators. We're asking that critically because we're Gator fans and because we're we're Gator-centric. But every other program has questions like this coming into the year. And inevitably, the predictions never end up in the exact order that people think because you have guys who step up. Now, I think there's a major hole at Florida. I mean, you know, if, if I'm a Kentucky fan thinking about what I can do and I go, I got Devin Leary versus versus Graham Mertz or Jack Miller, 
Um, I go advantage Kentucky. If I'm Tennessee, I go Joe Milton. Hey, maybe not great shakes, but at least he's not Grammers, right? So there's Spencer Rattler, same thing. So, so there are some holes in Florida. There's no doubt there's holes in Florida, but the idea that the season is just something that we should count off or, or count out, I, I think is misguided. I think the reality though, is that there's not a whole lot of room for air. There's not a whole lot of margin. And so since there's not a whole lot of margin, if one or two guys goes down and that I think is maybe the thing that I point to when we talk about Goodwin earlier in the episode that you no longer have a cushion if a left tackle goes down. You don't have a guy that you can put in there with the athletic ability that you really want in the SEC who's got SEC experience. You just don't have that anymore. And so that margin for error is going to be small. And yeah, obviously, if they pull out three one-score games that they didn't pull out last year, the record's going to be a lot better. Of course, if they lose a couple of the one-score games, because I think they were like 500 in one-score games last year, if they lose some more of those one-score games, well, now all of a sudden you're at a worse record. I think there's there's such a wide breadth of what the season could be. It's one of the reasons why it's kind of interesting to watch. I think the 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 experience that Napier was pointing to is interesting, but adding that through the portal, I think is also something that we don't really know what that means. Like usually you look at experience and starting and all that stuff, you know, like this guy's been in the system for four years and that's not what you're looking at. Now you're looking at a guy who started three years at Wisconsin and is coming into a new system. And the question is, do all those starts really mean anything when you come into a brand new system, a brand new situation in a brand new conference? We're about to find out because they they have either unintentionally or intentionally strafed the experience on the roster from the high school recruited guys. Um, there's a lot of youngins on this roster. They haven't even gotten up to the 85 scholarships. Uh, they were giving out scholarships this week to, to some of the walk-ons, which is cool. That's always a cool moment, but it also means you have scholarships that are not available or that are not used. So you can, you can, give those to a walk-on. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, they need the experience. It's good that they've done it. You start looking at the distribution, especially on the offensive line, it makes a big difference. But uh, um, but uh, again, I look at the whole season and just go, a large bulk of the games are toss-ups. And that's kind of cool going into the season, but it might end up being really bad depending upon what happens. It, it, might end up being really good, right? It reminds me of 2012 in many ways. The tempered expectations are, in my mind, a good thing going into this season uh, because, one, I think it's justified. I think the tempered expectations are justified. But if this team really – he talked about the Hefner football facility also. Napier talked about this being a big factor. And guys are hanging out there all day. And he, I mean, you see the pictures on social media too. They're grilling out by the pool. They got that resort-style pool. They got the weight room there. They – they're just hanging out there all day. He said, that's a big difference this year. Where you talk about a guy that is known for helping to build a culture. And he's he got the family under one roof type of situation where guys that are actually hanging out. I know Pearsall talked about that a little bit with Graham Mertz, where they spend a lot of time together. They went to the beach in St. Augustine together this past weekend or a couple of weeks ago or whatever. But if this is the type of team that just has that, that it factor with the chemistry and they pull out a couple of those extra games. It could be a really likable team this year. Will that, that really surprises. And I, I think Gator nation could have a lot of fun with this team after a couple of uh, rough years, but that's an, if we got, it's like you said, everything's attached to the, to the winning side too. And I, I know they don't focus on the results, but the fans certainly do. The fans. Well, I, I would bet, I would bet you there are programs out there, you know, like Bowling Green where a bunch of guys hang out during the off season or there for all the off season workouts and, and, you know, are, are really a tight knit community. And then they go play Alabama and get beat by 87 points. It could be. So I, my point is it, it could be a thing where even though we have those low expectations, maybe this is a stronger, maybe it, 
less strong in terms of if you analyze individual to individual, but maybe it's a stronger team this year that comes together and outperforms those expectations. That that's well, I mean, that's what I that's my hope for them anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, last year, if you looked at any of the preseason magazines, Athlon, Lindy's, those sorts of things, they basically talked about Florida last year being maddeningly inconsistent. That they yep. they would be they, they would show flashes, but the, they would show flashes, but they never show consistency. And so now the question is, are the flashes going to be less bright? But there'll actually be more of them as opposed to just giant flashes and then darkness, which is what it felt like we had last year. I mean, this team was not that far away from being really respectable from a record perspective. If they just showed up against Vanderbilt, right? I mean, that loss right there sets the tone for everything. They almost pulled off the win against Florida state. Um, in fact, if Anthony Richardson had played even halfway decent in the second half, they win that game. So there now the Oregon state game leaves a really bitter taste in your mouth, the same way the Oklahoma game did in 2020 or 2021. But, um, you know, I, I think, yes, there is absolutely an opportunity that there, this could be some, you know, we believe team, the team is greater than its parts. And all of a sudden the team's eight and four, but if if you're asking me, do I think they're going to go ten and two because of some team cohesion? I'd say no. They're going to go ten and two if Graham Mertz. If it turns out that the Wisconsin offense really was that bad, and they were just like you know dragging Graham Mertz down like he had an anvil attached to him, and uh, and all of a sudden that anvil's been cut off and he's in an offense that uses his his skills much better. And I mean that's how you're going ten let's, too. Let's so. bookmark that for the preseason for the for the bye week. Will maybe the Will Miles? What what did Will? What did Wisconsin do to this poor quarterback at, at midseason? Like why why has he been so awesome this first half of the year? Like maybe we'll find that out in uh, mid October there from a Will Miles uh, deep dive into the Wisconsin Badgers offense from uh, circa 2020 through 2022. Oh, uh, there you go, man. I wouldn't mind reading that. All right, let's wrap up with the SEC media predictions. Uh, we'll talk about the Eastern Division uh, first place votes uh, here for everyone in the SEC, Will, for the East and West Divisions here, except Florida, Missouri, and Ole Miss. Those are the only three schools that did not pick up a first place vote. Uh, it might surprise you to hear Vanderbilt not included on that category, but they had eight first place votes somehow. I guess uh, being in Nashville probably – probably helped the Commodores on that one, but really the big favorites overall, UGA, Bama, LSU were by far uh, in a way, the three favorites with Georgia receiving uh, 265 first place votes, Alabama, 165, LSU, 117. Well, the next closest vote getter was Tennessee at 14. So really the media sees those three teams as by far in a way, the favorites in this conference right now. And, uh, Look, Florida had a fifth-place finish in the East behind Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Kentucky. You got Missouri and Vandy coming up in sixth and seventh. Uh, in the West, they had Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State. Any big surprises there? I mean, I think the the big surprise to me is, well, I guess I'm not surprised, but I think the thing I take umbrage with is I don't think LSU is that good. I think LSU is a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I think um, Alabama last year wasn't as good as maybe we thought they were going to be. Um, I think the Tennessee game showed that. I mean, geez, they gave, what, 52 points to the Volunteers. There were times where their defense just got shredded, and we'll see if they've corrected that, but, um, but I think 
<laughs> I, I think LSU got lucky a couple of times last year, and I, I don't think that that lasts forever. And so if you think about where the – like you were talking about one-score games, I, I'd have to go look and see how many one-score games LSU won and what their record in one-score games was, but I bet you they wound up on the positive end of that ledger. Now, conversely, you know they did lose the game on the extra point against Florida State to start the season, so maybe, maybe my memory or, or maybe just my thought process for LSU is different than uh, – They had some tight than games. Overall. They but, had some tight games last year. But I, I just look at it and I go, I, if I'm going to say there's tiers, it's Georgia and Alabama, and yeah. then there's a bunch of teams in the next tier. And you might say that LSU, Tennessee, AM, South Carolina, Kentucky, and, and Florida sort of on the bottom end of that ledger, but that's all sort of mishmash together. And you see that actually when you look at recruiting rankings and records is you see a lot of noise once you get to the third or fourth overall recruiting team in the conference. And that's where LSU is. And so last year, the noise happened to bring them to the top. I suspect the noise is going to bring them back down. So that's maybe the, that's maybe the surprise that I would say there. Um, eight people pick Vanderbilt. That'd be, that'd be a surprise for me. Um, you know, it wasn't just a vote that they were going to get one sec victory. It was a, I mean, look, I like a lot. You and I've talked a lot. We like, we like what Barton Simmons and Clark Lee are building there in, in Vanderbilt. And I expect them to be a 500 team or better on a fairly regular basis in the not too dis- games. in the right. not too distant future. Right. But for anybody to pick them to win the sec, <laughs> they they ain't beating Georgia. I don't care. I don't care if you got Kirby himself playing quarterback. They're not beating Georgia. So, uh, but he's got some good ups anyway. We've seen that on the sideline. So, so well, I had a weird thought today. I was going through and kind of doing my research for the show, and I was thinking, uh, Texas A and M offensive coordinator. We brought it up a few times on the show. Bobby Petrino. If A and M lights it up this year, they say the only person that's semi on the hot seat right now in the SEC, and that could change quickly throughout the season. But Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri might be that name, right? Eli Bobby Petrino. Where did he just coach? Well, yeah, yeah. He's just in, he was in the state of Missouri the last few years at uh, at SMS there. So yeah, coach on the FCS level, but. Could could be an interesting candidate there at that Missouri at that Missouri position if A and M ends up lighting it up. I Jimbo was reading off the list of offensive assists or the, really both sides of the ball, but especially on the offensive side, very impressive group of coaches over there at A and M, including a, a former Florida Gator legend uh, Steve Vidazio. Will oh god, well so that explains why their offense was boring last year, I suppose, but. Uh... Uh, look, I think Petrino obviously has the track record. You think about you think about what happened with uh, with Orgeron at LSU in Burrow's second year. They bring in Joe Brady, and the offense just takes off. And Brady mm-hmm. got an awful lot of credit for that, and and was able to parlay that into an offensive coordinator job at the Carolina Panthers, and has since gone to be the quarterbacks coach for the Buffalo Bills. Which you know, Josh Allen has kind of taken a couple of not a couple steps back, but Buffalo hasn't really gotten where they wanted to get to. And certainly the offensive coordinating job there at Carolina, um, the offense was not coordinated very well while Joe Brady was there. Um, so I guess my point is is that sometimes guys get credit even when they don't necessarily deserve it. But Petrino is going to get credit because he deserves it, right? There's there's a track record of him having offenses that are just elite. 
And look, Anum's problem has not been on defense the last few years. Anum's problem has been on offense, which is surprising when you look at Jimbo Fisher's history. At the same time, when you look at Jimbo's Fisher, Jimbo Fisher's history without Jameis Wilson, Jameis Winston, it's not that surprising. Like that, that I think is the thing that we do have to take into account is he got an elite quarterback recruit, regardless of what you think of Winston. He got an elite quarterback recruit to come to Florida State, and all of a sudden they were winning. The minute Winston left, the offense right. went back into the tank the same way it was before. And, you know, that didn't mean that the team couldn't go nine and four, but it just meant that the team was not winning national championships. So that's going to be the question to me is, is can Petrino make Connor Wegman be Jameis Winston? Is he able to take a guy who's got a five-star pedigree and turn him into a star? And if he does, then yeah, absolutely. He's going to get a look, but I'm not sure the look would be Missouri. I think the look will be, you know, <laughs> Oklahoma or, or Texas or, or someplace that's fallen flat that needs the offensive pep and Missouri just doesn't have the history. I don't think to be a big time power in college football. Um, I think Petrino will get a job, you know, just like Hugh freeze wound up back at Auburn um, after his sabbatical right. there at Liberty. I don't know that Missouri is necessarily the sabbatical. I think the sabbatical is you go build the offense at some place in the ACC where it's easy enough to win and then, uh, and then transfer back in or heck maybe he goes up to like, uh, I don't know, Wisconsin's already taken by fickle, but maybe he goes, maybe he's at Northwestern next year and uh, turning them into an offensive juggernaut. Oh yeah. Northwestern. Yeah. 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 Northwestern. That's what they need to do is hire Bobby Petrino. That's, (laughs) <laughs> that do real real great to clean up any image issues hey he <laughs> never got in trouble for hazing when he was in arkansas it was, it was other things but it was never hazing i th- i i do I, you hear a lot of chatter around missouri with that defense coming back that, that that's something where i i would think it'd be a little premature to move on from Trinkwitz, even though i'm not the biggest fan of Trinkwitz. but i i just i had that thought today because i think if if a&m has a sneaky good season with with a because I think after last year they got so much hype I think people are just out on them this off season but you look at that I think that's one of the could be one of the biggest hires in America there Bobby Petrino going A and M that's interesting uh, the other conversation I heard a lot of this week and and I I almost hate going here Will but like people talking about Alabama like there was some kind of problem with this program and, and I keep being reminded like. They did lose two games by a total of four points last year, right? Did I dream that on the last play in both games? Both Tennessee and LSU was on the last play. They were like two plays from going undefeated again. Like, I I don't understand the conversation around Alabama just being discounted to some extent in preseason talks. I know some people are trying to make headlines with those statements, but it seems to be a consistent narrative across a lot of the media sphere in, in talking about Alabama and Nick Saban. I think it's great that Kirby smart has, has been able to, um, well, I don't think it's, I'm not, I'm not saying it's great, but it, for, for Georgia to step up and finally get over the top with Alabama there, but Hey, Alabama, they still have quite a track record. They're still hauling in top notch recruiting classes. I don't see a difference in Alabama from today versus, you know, pretty much the entire time Nick Saban's been at Alabama. I mean, we'll see. Alabama has not um, has not won every national championship since Nick Saban's been there, right? I mean, but they've won, <laughs> but they've won their share. What? And so, you know, look, I mean, did we say that Nick Saban w- had fallen by the wayside when LSU won a couple years ago? No, not really. Um, he lost to Clemson. Everybody's like, oh, is he slipping to Dabo? And you know, look, Dabo won a couple, but Saban won a couple too. Um, you know, th- there there is, I think, something to be said for 
they did become incredibly reliant on Bryce Young to do a lot of things for him over the last couple of years. And a little bit more balance might be useful. Um, mm-hmm. you know, elite quarterback play is important, but if you start looking at the actual numbers, I don't know that Bryce Young, even in the season where he won the Heisman Trophy, I don't know that I would have called his play elite. I would have called it like great, but not elite. And there's a difference. And um, you know, if you're not getting lights out quarterback play, then you can't just rely on that. And you know, there were too many times, like the Texas game is one last year that I think about where the, he had to lead them back and had to like you know escape and you know it almost felt like he was going to get his helmet ripped off on one of them and 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 rolls out and keeps the keeps the season alive um you know they were going back and forth and one of the games that they lost by was it a&m who did they lose to last year the other one um they lost to tennessee but then lsu lsu yeah yeah. but no it was a tennessee game where they were just going back and forth where he's shaking off a couple of defenders finding guys downfield um you know those those moments are great, but that's not what's made Alabama great. What's made Alabama great is that they beat you 24 to three and Mark Run Ingram runs for 185 right. yards and Hey, look, we've got, uh, <laughs> you know, we've got Najee Harris back there and Hey, look, we've got, uh, you know, we've, we've got, you know, just a staple of running backs. And all of a sudden that freshman running back comes out and goes for a hundred yards. You're like, who's yeah. that guy? And then all of a sudden he's competing for the Heisman trophy the next year. And and that I think is the big thing. If you look at Alabama over the past few years, who's the running back that you look at and say that guy, if he goes down, that's a big loss. I think Bo Scarborough is maybe the last guy I can think of. And he did go down in that game against, uh, against Clemson. Yeah. Yeah, well, and look, those were teams that won the national title, right? Najee Harris with Mac Jones won the national title, so yeah, they just need to find that. He wasn't too bad, but he wasn't he wasn't that that superstar. I tell you what, I I I, my uh, my nephew knows Richard Young from the Fort Myers area, um, and and he's one of those five stars who who committed to Alabama. That kid's gonna be pretty good. Apparently, there's another freshman in there, uh, blanking on his name. I think I was. I was listening to Staples. I think Staples. It won't matter. We'll know by the end of the year. Yeah. One of them is Another going freshman to that's going to be big too. There. So it's it, the kid with the kid's father played a uh, fullback for Georgia. So I'm blanking on the name there, but he, uh, the, the, I, I have no doubt that Alabama is going to be in the mix uh, for the SEC title this yeah. season. So well, it's certainly more than LSU there. or uh, we'll see. I mean, again, A&M is recruited at a level they can pop up. Right. And if if Petrino can turn Wegman into a star quarterback, then they'll be right there. Um, but that's a big if, right? And I think that's a bigger if than will Nick Saban figure out how to replace Bryce Young. Another interesting thought I had during uh, the SEC media days when we were talking about where Florida is at this year. If I could give you a 4-0 record against South Carolina, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, or – a guaranteed upset against either Tennessee or Florida state. Which one are you picking? I mean, I take the four only because um, I think those upsets are a possibility anyway. Mm. And so I'm willing to roll it. If you give me the four guaranteed wins with the two cupcakes, you're already at six. And now you've got Utah, Florida state, Tennessee, Georgia, and LSU remaining. And I know we don't expect the Georgia and LSU games to be wins, but if I'm I'm already calling, I think the Tennessee game is a toss-up. I think the Florida State game is a toss-up. Those were ones I had in the magazine as toss Joe Milton says he doesn't lose in Florida, though. <laughs> well, well, he also didn't complete many passes in Florida if you look at his completion percentage in high school. <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think um, 
look, both of those games are in the swamp. So you have home games for both of those games. And you're telling me that I can have six wins guaranteed going into the season. And I have the opportunity for those guys to be in the swamp. And then I've got the Georgia LSU and Arkansas game. And the Arkansas game is also in the swamp. I mean, at that point, I mean, if you just get the Arkansas game, you're seven and five. And I think most fans would take seven and five to start the year. And then I think they're going to pull out one of those Tennessee or Florida state games. I do. And, you know, so now you're looking at eight and four, what happens if rising isn't what he could be, you know, there's a possibility for this team to be really, really, really good compared to expectations. Um, There's also a possibility for them to fall flat on their face. And, you know, last year they weren't six and seven because they lost to Georgia. They were six and seven because they lost to Vanderbilt. They were six and seven because they lost to teams that it, they just had no business losing to. And so that that I think is the you know we talked about the flashes earlier, the the flashes that aren't as bright but happen more often. That's going to be the thing, is if you can flash less bright but more often against Vanderbilt, you never lose that game. If you flash you know against Arkansas, you're not going to lose that game. Um, and Missouri, same deal. Kentucky and South Carolina, hey, maybe those will be dogfights depending on what happens to the quarterback position. But, um, yeah, you give me those four, I'll take them and, uh, and, and take my chances, roll the dice on home games in the swamp against some rivals. Well, Billy Napier did bust out one Spurrier quote. He said, uh, Spurrier once said, this is talking season. It's talking season and the games are coming. We're, we're one month closer here, one one more week closer. I think I saw five Saturdays to college football was going all over Twitter. So we're, we're getting real close there, Will. We're getting real close to college football season, and we're looking forward to it here at Read and Reaction. Will, any final words before we head out? Nah, man, just looking forward to it. It's always fun to have the uh, have the season right on the precipice, and it also means the baseball season's ending for me and my kids. So uh, all of a sudden I'll have a little bit more time. So that's, that's good because uh, – there's been none of it for the past two months. So, uh, and, and, uh, he's getting tired of me yelling at him and I'm getting tired of yelling at him. So, uh, yeah. so now I'll just be yelling at the TV and chucking stuff at the, uh, at, at the TV when, uh, when, when Florida's hopefully, hopefully winning some of these games. Is coach miles on the hot seat? I mean, he should be based on the record, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, my recruiting budget is not what it needs to be in order to be successful. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll blame the boosters. That. You got that Lee Kiffin NIL story going for travel <laughs> baseball. That's good. That's good. I'll blame the boosters. All right, everybody. Thanks for checking out another episode of Stand Up and Holler. We'll be back next week. For Will Miles, I'm Nick Newton. Have a great week, everybody, and go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction. Or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask any things over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.